0: All right, amen. Amen. Oh, I, I pray and hope that your heart is, is prepared and ready now to hear the word of God. Those in junior church, you're invited to go downstairs. Praise the Lord for all of our young people and for the, the whole junior church ministry. And if you all would take your Bibles, please turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. This morning we will be studying and looking at verses 20 to 26. Let me read them. 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 20, all the way to verse 26. The Word of God says, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore... If anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all. Able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Let's pray. Father, as we come to the word this morning, we do pray that the Holy Spirit would bring about enlightenment to our hearts. Have him teach the word to us and reveal to us areas in our life that we would need to submit and yield ourselves to you. Father, there might be some that need to be born into your family. They would need to have the salvation that's offered by Jesus Christ alone through faith. I do pray, Father, for believers that we would cleanse ourselves and be fit and ready for your usefulness. So, Father, do with us as you will. Mold us and make us and shape us. Conform us to be more into the image of Jesus Christ, even degree by degree. Thank you for your goodness and your mercy and your desire to work in us and through us. May all that is done and, and said and even thought about this morning be to your honor and to your glory alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we are looking verse by verse now through the book of 2 Timothy. We understand that the context of the book is the Apostle Paul writing what most likely is his last letter. It is to his young friend Timothy. Timothy is in his late 30s. Maybe early forties as he's working in the ministry in a city called Ephesus. But in Ephesus, he's under great opposition. He has people, leaders in the church that have risen up that are teaching false things. Some have been removed from the church by the apostle Paul, and Timothy has been left to, to you know, direct the church and and, and teach the church so the church could grow in godliness. But he has a lot of opposition. Timothy's personality is one that is maybe more timid. He's not a, probably a confrontational person and and yet he has to fan the the gift of God that is in him, and he has to, no matter what the consequences, do what's right. Why? Because the gospel is so precious. Because the gospel has to be guarded and preached and proclaimed accurately for people to hear the truth that Jesus died to save the world from their sins, and anyone, man or woman, boy or girl, who places their faith in Jesus alone, not in their religion or their good works, will be given eternal life. They will be given a glorified body in a future day. And Paul says, I am absolutely committed to this truth. And he's willing to risk his whole life for the gospel. Timothy needs to do the same. Then he moves on in chapter 2 and gives us some images of endurance. Because Timothy maybe wanted to quit. And there's great, great, great pictures of endurance. The first one is a faithful soldier. A faithful soldier, his only goal in life is to please his master. That's all he's concerned about. To please his master. He has one focus and one mind. If the master, if his commander says, well done, good soldier, that is all he cares about. That is his reward. Timothy, you've got to be faithful to proclaim the gospel and do your ministry so that your commander, Jesus Christ, could say, well done, Timothy, someday. That is a great reward. If you're an athlete, that's the second image of endurance. You know what an athlete has to go through to train for the Olympics? In the Greek days, in the days of the Greek Olympics, they had 10 months of severe training time. It was mostly dietary. They had to eat this, drink this, exercise, get up, go to bed. They were told entirely what to do. What was their reward for such faithful endurance of training? Running the race and winning a crown. And the crown was perishable. A set of oak leaves. And within hours after the event, you would look at the crown and it would begin to wilt. And if you're willing to go ten months for a wilty, perishable crown, should not we believers discipline our lives and our bodies so that someday our heavenly Savior would put a crown on our, but not a perishable, an imperishable crown. A crown of righteousness. For those who have run the race and run well. Timothy, run well. Faith Baptist, run well. Be good soldiers. Pleasing only your commander, so he'll say, well done. Run your race, believers, here at church, so that Jesus someday will lay on you a crown of righteousness. But then the third image is a hardworking farmer. Oh, do they have much to do. Break up the ground, put the seed in, water it, weed it, keep it from all the animals that could, that could devour their gardens. They need to be able to have the harvest at the end. And it's endurance. It's hard work to be a farmer. I haven't been one. But just the little farming I've done, which is a small little pea patch with some corn and some carrots as a child, man, that was agony. But the, the, what's the reward? You get the fruit of your labors. Timothy, like you and I, need to be diligent. We need to be like hard-working farmers. Doing the ministry without getting any credit, without getting any glory, we're just doing it day after day after day after day, planting seeds, watering seeds, planting seeds, watering seeds, so someday in heaven we can, re- we can enjoy the fruits of the harvest. We don't enjoy it right now. We enjoy it in the, in the future days. Then Paul says to Timothy, and this was a couple weeks ago when we talked about the unashamed workman. Timothy needs to be like a workman. Not, not a student. You know what it says in 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show yourself approved unto God? He's not saying Timothy be a student, be a laborious student. Although, I would like that because I love being a student. I love to learn. He's saying be a, be a workman, be a craftsman, When you care about your craft. And the craft is proclaiming the word of God. Do it diligently, with great, great labor, searching the scriptures and reading them and thinking about them and leaving them out, rightly dividing the word of truth, because you have enemies that will preach the lies and people will be deceived. You need to stand on the truth and and proclaim accurately the word of God, like a good craftsman. You know why? We need to present our craft before the master craftsman, God himself. Present ourselves approved unto God. It is like we carefully craft or, or do our work in the ministry, and then we present it to God. It literally means to present before God, means to stand beside him, unashamed. He would look at our craft, he would look at our hearts and our lives, and there would be no shame or regret on our part. We would look at our Savior, and he would smile upon us and say, yes, you labored accurately and diligently for the proclamation of truth, and your life held right like an approved worker. You are not... To be ashamed of that. That is what we want. Now, isn't that glorious? Isn't that great? This morning, we're going to look at what does it mean to be a vessel of honor and then a servant of the Lord. So I want you to think about the vessel of honor because Timothy, to please God, must be a vessel fit for the master, a vessel of honor. Let's look at the text, beginning in verse 20. Paul gives us an analogy of this. The analogy is found in verse 20. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some for honor and some for dishonor. Now we are immediately transported To Paul's day, while he's writing in a dark, lonely, cold, damp prison to young Timothy about a thousand miles away who's going to make his way to Rome, Paul now opens up Timothy's mind to picture a large house. So right now, picture with me a large house of biblical days. We don't know, maybe two stories. A lot of them might have had two stories. But this is a great house, a large one, which would include many, many people. And and if you have a large house with many people, you're going to have a lot of dishes. Lots of dishes. Two people Lots of dishes. Uh, But many people. But there's all kinds of dishes. Paul wants us to get in our mind a contrast of two types of dishes. He calls them vessels. But these vessels from that culture would have understood instantly. Listen. This could be any type of utensil or furnishing in the house. But the ancient days, they didn't have all the things. They didn't have toaster ovens and pizza ovens and mixers and blenders and mixers and blenders. And and they didn't have all of those. What did they have? They had vessels to put their food on, and they had vessels to take the garbage out. So you have in this great house were many kinds of, of, of vessels of cups and bowls and pitchers and plates. Some of these were made out of a material of gold and silver. Beautiful. Something that was fit for public use. That you would love to display before all the people. And when you had company or even when your family got together, you would use the gold and the silver dishes. They were highly valued. They were very clean. And you could easily put your food and display your food for everybody. Serve your food on beautiful platters of gold and silver. But then in the house, this gigantic house, there were also vessels of wood and clay. They were cheap and easily replaceable. Very replaceable. And you used the wood and the clay for hauling out the garbage and the human waste. So you're talking a great contrast between vessels of honor that were used to show hospitality and to serve and to feed people. And then other vessels in the house which you just would not bring out to the company. You would not ever dream of using the garbage pail to deliver the soup to the table. You would never use that if it had used human waste and you just brought that out to the outdoors. Paul is saying, Timothy, you have to realize in a great house there's many types of vessels, some gold and silver, fit for honorable purposes, noble purposes, and then there's others that are wood and clay that, that are, are not to be out in the public. You don't bring them out. You don't talk about them. You, just, you don't have them. They're there, but, you, but they're for a different purpose, a dishonorable purpose. Paul has already made it clear what the large house is. The household is the household of God, the firm foundation is that which the church is built on. It's, it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in the church, there are vessels both of honor and dishonor. My question is, where are you at as a vessel of God? Are you a vessel of honor, fit for the master, or a vessel of dishonor? Now, it is true that in the church, there are two types of people. There are believers and there are unbelievers. Believers and unbelievers. That is a mixed group. Um... You think about every church. Sitting in pews are people who have not trusted Jesus. All right, I don't think that's the context of this this part when it talks about two types of vessels, but there are two types of groups in the church. There are believers and there are unbelievers. Those who know Jesus Christ in a personal way, they have trusted him for their salvation. For me, I was religious. I went to church all the time growing up, but I did not know Jesus, and I had no relationship with him. When I trusted Jesus 20 years ago, um, I placed my faith in him, and I abandoned my good works and my religion. I became a, a member of his family. So everybody in this church, you're either a member of God's family or you're a member of Satan's family. Ephesians two two says those who have not trusted Jesus are children of the devil, children of wrath, God's wrath, God's anger. Everybody is in one of those two positions. If you have placed your trust in Jesus Christ, you then can be made a vessel of honor. So that is your first step. I think in the context, Paul has already been dealing with some people. Hymenaeus and Philetus. remember those two? These two false teachers, they were teaching that the resurrection had already taken place. And so these were dishonorable vessels. People in the church that are believers, that are going after false doctrine, and they are not living right and teaching right, they are dishonorable vessels, not fit for the master's use. So within the body of believers in the church, there are two types of believers. There are believers who have consecrated and dedicated their life to the Lord and to his service, and there are others who are just being used for dishonorable purposes. They are believers, but they are not living for Jesus. They are not living pure and and godly lives that reflect and represent a relationship with him. And so, again, I ask you, what type of vessel are you? Are you an honorable vessel to fit to be displayed for the glory of God, or are you being used for ignoble purposes? Well, he goes on and he says this, verse 21, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, which means you have, the, you have the decision and the choice as to what type of vessel you will be. If you cleanse yourself from the latter things, these latter things, well, what are the latter things? Well, he's only been talking about two types of vessels, the dishonorable and the honorable. If you, if you as a vessel, just keep, cleanse yourself, keep yourself from the, the wrong teaching and the wrong behavior of the false teachers, You've now cleansed yourself from those. You can then become an an honorable vessel. Does that make sense? What you choose to do determines what kind of vessel you are. Paul says, Timothy, you want to be an honorable vessel. There are three descriptions now of what an honorable vessel is. So let's take a look in verse 21 what these three descriptions of being a vessel of honor is. The scriptures say, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, Timothy, be sure that you're cleansing yourself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor. Three things. First of all, sanctified. Secondly, useful for our master. And third, prepared for every good work. All right. You want to be an honorable vessel. Takes three things in your life. Number one, you must be clean. You must be clean. You must be sanctified. There's nothing more frustrating than looking in the cupboard and not having, a vessel, not having a vessel that's clean. You pull one out, it's got some dried milk on the bottom. I did not wash that all the way. I should have soaked it before I washed it. Do you ever do that? You get something, you get a cup, and it's dirty in the bottom, and you're like, I can't use this. It's not clean. It has never been sanctified or set apart for a good purpose, such as drinking a, a glass of milk or having some water. Too many believers are not clean. Their lives are filthy. Their, their doctrine is filthy. You need to cleanse yourself from all those latter things. And you need to be sanctified. The idea of sanctified means to be set apart for a holy purpose. For God's purpose. To be sanctified, you have to be in his family. You have to be born again. You must trust him alone for your salvation, or you can never be a sanctified vessel. Sanctification starts with your justification. Do you realize that we have a record of sin on our life from the moment we were conceived? The Bible says that we are born with a sinful nature. And then we commit these acts of sin which all condemn us and bring us guilty before God. To be sanctified, God has to take your whole list of sins... Have Jesus pay for them on the cross so they're all accounted for and they're all paid for. And he has to give you his righteousness. It's called justification. It is a court judicial act. God, as judge, cleanses your record, sanctifies you in that sense. He takes all of your sin, puts it on Jesus, and takes all of Jesus' righteousness and places it on you. He then declares you righteous even though practically we're not, he declares you righteous. That is the first step of being sanctified. From that point on, we need to practically grow like our position. Our position is perfect in Jesus, but practically, we're not there yet. We need to grow in Christ-likeness, step by step, year by year, week by week, even minute by minute. We need to grow in sanctification. If you want to be a vessel of honor, you need to be growing in sanctification. This word is, is a perfect passive, which means it's something God is doing to you. God is making you sanctified. He has sanctified you, has set you apart. But we need to respond to the gospel. We need to respond to his grace. And we need to be holy. We need to be set apart. Are you clean? This past week, your thoughts. Pure? Clean? Appropriate for the master to say, Wow, those are my thoughts this week. Words. our choice of words, our tone of words, our timing of words. How do do all of those play into being a sanctified vessel? It is a vessel that Jesus Christ could say, those were my words and my timing with my tone, with the intention to produce this good result of grace. How about about, uh, what we've watched, what we've thought about? Everything that we've done is under the, the direct gaze of our Savior. And to be sanctified, he sanctifies us by his grace. He cleanses our record of sin, and then he brings about godly growth as we live in Christ, day after day. We need to be making a constant pursuit of that. To be a vessel of honor, oh, people, we must be sanctified. We must be clean. Again, there's nothing worse than drinking out of a dirty cup. It's gross. It's repulsive. It's repulsive. I remember living in Israel. Uh, I worked with Jewish people and Arabs in the banana fields. And we had one cup for all of us. And we all had to, sh- you know me, I'm a germophobic person. I just don't like drinking on another person's cup or anything like that. And, and that's what they do. they like Everybody in the whole group has just, drink, you know, drinks. And then they give it to you and you're like, this thing is gross. It's not even fit for me. And, but I'm thirsty and I'm going to drink it. And, and it's just, you do it, but it's, it's not your desire. What God is looking for is men and women who are just consecrated. They have set apart their lives, set apart from sin and the flesh and all the offerings of the world. They're set apart, they're set unto God for holiness. Look at the second thing. Not only do you have to be clean, it says you have to be useful for the master. What a great word. Profitable, useful for the master. Can you imagine if you were bringing out some soup to some guests? And the soup bowl says, I don't want to carry soup anymore. Boom! The soup goes everywhere on its own. Or maybe the salad bowl says, Hey, I don't want to be a salad bowl anymore. I want to carry something else. Like pancake batter. Get rid of the salad and it just throws the salad all over the place. You would have a hard time entertaining your guests, bringing food to the table and it's all falling all over, jumping out of its dish, landing all over the place. Listen, the vessel has just got to be useful for the purpose of the master. You know what I get the idea of? I think Paul's saying as vessels of honor, we've just got to be submissive. Submissive. Useful for the master. Submissive. Isn't it great when you've got a soup bowl and the soup is just absolutely submissive? And the container is submissive to the soup? Yes, I'll carry the soup and feed the guests. Yes, I'll carry the salad and feed the guests. Those are great vessels. The people that God just loves in the church and enjoys in the ministry are those who say, Father, give me a task and I'll do it. No matter how difficult I cannot tell you how difficult public speaking is for me. I, you know I'm extremely, extremely an introvert, very, very shy. When I had my first job at Johnny's Music, Johnny said, Brian, I want you, when you're not teaching a piano lesson, I want you to answer the phone. If I ever got caught behind the counter and the phone rang, I ran. I never, I, and if I had to answer because he was standing right there, I'd be like, hello, Johnny's Music. I mean, I could not talk to anybody. Piano lessons were easy. I could just go through those half-hour segments by just turning the page pointing, turning the page pointing, turning the You know, I'd write the word good or okay or do better or something. You don't have to talk much if they're playing the piano all the time. Then God says, Brian, I want you to be in the ministry to preach and teach the word of God. There's nothing more frightening. Um, you know, I've told you before when I was in high school and I filled out all those Forms about what my possible career could be. It was being a forest ranger out in the middle of nowhere. The animals won't even go there. That's, what I, that's where I really belong. Put me there. Man, you're not going to find a complaint. Hard to teach and preach and be public. Very hard. And yet, the one thing that I remember from when I was first saved, all I just want to be is useful. Lord, whatever you want to do, my life is not my own. Just use me. Use me in whatever are you useful? Are you submissive to the Father? Whatever it might be, whatever talents and gifts He's given you, you just use them for Him, regardless of the complaints, regardless of the rejection, regardless of what anybody may say. I mean, I have said some really ridiculous things, and people have caught me on those, and I thank you and I appreciate that, but I have, I, I'm not going to quit because of it. I feel like it, but I, I will not because I want to be useful to the Master. Useful vessels are just submissive to His will. Whatever he has called you, you just do wholeheartedly, with great passion. Useful. This word useful gives me the idea of, remember Onesimus and Philemon? Philemon was, a, was having a church in his house in the little village of Colossi, and Onesimus was one of his slaves. Onesimus was not a believer. Philemon was. And there, were, there must have been some really bad attitudes on Ones- Onesimus' part, as Philemon would say, Onesimus, do this. All right, I'll do it. Do this, Onesimus. All right, I'll do it. And then come to the service so you can hear the gospel of Jesus. No, I don't want to do that. Onesimus steals from Philemon something. He steals something that belongs to Philemon, and he runs. And he goes from Colossae, 1,200 miles, all the way to the city of Rome, thinking he can escape Onesimus in a big city. He gets to Rome, and he runs into the Apostle Paul in a rented house. And here from from the Apostle Paul, he hears the gospel, and Onesimus gets saved. Paul writes a letter and says, Onesimus, I want you to go back to Philemon and you serve him well. You serve him as the very best servant that you could ever be. You owe that to him. Um, And then he says to Philemon, Philemon, Onesimus at one time was unprofitable to you, but now he is profitable both for me and for you. What changed in Onesimus? His radical heart transformation. He is now a believer in Jesus radically changed, he is now useful to Paul and and to Philemon. That is what we want. We just want to be used. I think the whole context of this, from beginning to end, revolves around that phrase. Timothy, believers at Faith Baptist, your goal, your number one goal, just be useful for the master. The word master is despot, absolute ruler. You don't go against an absolute ruler. You just, you do what he says. And um, that's what we need to be as honorable vessels. Thirdly, not only do we need to be clean, not only do we need to be submissive to his will and his direction for our ministries, our lives, but it says prepared for every good work. Oh, what great words. Prepared. It means to make every preparation necessary to be ready so that when the master needs you, you are ready. The problem with me and tools, the tools are never ready. So if I need a hammer, I end up using a screwdriver because the hammer is not ready. It's somewhere in the house or the yard or the church. I just I can't I was looking for a screwdriver the other day. I own like a 25 screwdrivers. I could not find one. I mean, I was trying to use dimes and quarters and pennies and I was trying to do all because the tool was not ready. It was not prepared. It had not gone through everything and it wasn't sitting there so I could clutch it and be and it could be used. You need to be prepared. Which means whatever training it takes for your ministry, you need the training. Biblical training. Be in church. Hear the messages. Go to Bible study. Go to Sunday school. Just learn the scriptures. Master them and have them master you. We need to be trained and prepared. How many tools are just not prepared? They're not plugged in. They don't work right. A part is broken. A part is missing. We need to be so ready. If your ministry is in music, you practice and you practice and you practice and you practice and you practice until finally it's ready to display for the master. You were just ready and and effective in everything that we do. If your ministry is encouragement, you're thinking about other people's needs before your own. What do they need? Is it going to help them to do this? Could I write them a note? Could I bring them a meal? Could I send them some flowers? Boom, boom, boom. If I'm a giver, if my gift is giving, I need to be prepared for that. I need to set aside money. There's missionaries coming up. I need to have that already in my budget. So at the last minute, I'm not like, oh, we don't have any. We spent it all. You know, it's just everything. Just be prepared for the master's use. The problem is we're so often not ready. We're not trained. How often are we ready to give the gospel? We meet somebody on the street. Do we have even a gospel tract on our, on our person? Or, or are we even ready to, to, to explain how beautiful Jesus is to us? Hardly. It, we're just not ready. We're just in a state of unreadiness. Tragic for any vessel not to be ready. Cracked, warped, dirty, not there. Whatever it might be. But then it's prepared for every good work. Everything, anything the master wants, we're just ready for it. The idea for good, of course, is noble, excellent, the very best work. God wants to do the very best work in you. Everything running in the church at its most excellent brings about health and well-being to the whole church. True? The teaching, just to be the most excellent it could be. The music, the most excellent. The prayers, the most excellent. The serving, the most excellent. The caring for people, the most excellent. On and on and on. Just the very most excellent. And why? Because we want to be a vessel of honor. Dishonorable vessels are just not ready. They're not prepared. And they're not prepared for noble work. They're prepared for just their own selfish living. How many, how many believers are just succumbed to their own selfishness? They're just not ready because their heart isn't even there. Paul says, Timothy do not be like hymenes and flatus. Do not be like other vessels of dishonor who are full of false teaching leading to ungodliness. But you need to be sanctified. You need to be a clean vessel. You need to be useful, just submissive to whatever God would have you do. Speak at a moment's notice. Listen. I know, we've booked this trip to Kenya, and Stephen has already written back how excited he is, and it already went in one prayer letter of his, and it's only been a few days. But he said, Pastor Brian, I want you to be preaching and teaching every day, and we'll do visiting, and I want you to do concerts. And Do you know what, how that scares me? To death! It scares me. It scares me. I, but I want to be prepared, I want to be ready, I want to be clean, and I want to be useful. So Lord, you're going to have to do a miracle here. Um, strange culture, strange people, what, what am I going to do? Um, hey, I'm just a vessel, it's all about God, it's not about the vessel, so it's always about the contents, the, the spirit of God in me, hey, and I just want to be clean, and I'm going to be submissive, and I want to be ready. So when he says, hey, I need somebody in Kenya, here I am, Lord, send me, I mean, I can't say that for every country, I wish I could, but I can't, I, this is my ministry right here, but do you get the idea? All right, now, we're going to finish this up tonight, but we're going to go a little bit further into the next context. All right, let's keep going. Verse 22. He now goes on and tells us how we can be sanctified, useful, and ready. How we can be clean, how we can be submissive, and prepared. Verse 22. Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. All right, Timothy, you've got to flee something, run like crazy, continuously run like crazy from something, and then pursue or chase after something. So my whole life, listen, my whole life is involved in running and chasing. That's all I do. I'm running from certain things and I'm pursuing and chasing after other things. What am I running from? Youthful lusts. Oh, what is this? When we say flee youthful lusts, what's our first thought? Sensual. We think of Joseph in Potiphar's house and how she grabbed his tunic and he just ran and tore out of there and he fled youthful lust. I do think sensuality is a youthful lust that needs to be fled from. Absolutely. I think that's part of it, but I don't think that's the main part in this. Other places, I think it's clear, flee from those youthful, sensual lusts. And again, that's part of it. But I think in this context, we're talking about false teaching leading to ungodliness, godly teaching, to good, to good godliness and great gain. Okay, so big contrast. Honorable vessels, dishonorable vessels. God, Satan, truth, lies, godliness, ungodliness. What are some of these youthful lusts that Timothy needs to flee from? Remember, he's in his 30s, mid-30s to early 40s. Well, I think some of these youthful lusts. Um, youth, how can I say this? Youth um, want to be right and think they're always right, and they like to, to quarrel about it, right? I, I remember when I was a teenager, I thought I was right all the time. I thought I knew everything. <laughs> wow. Uh, I had to apologize to my dad and say, wow, dad, I knew nothing. And now, being 46, I know less than nothing. <laughs> you know, as the older I grow, the, the lesser I actually think I know, and I certainly didn't know anything back then. But when Timothy's going to battle these false teachers the whole theme coming up now in these next verses. Do not quarrel. Do not be contentious. Do not be a fighter. Be gentle. Be humble. I think there's the aspect of youthful lusts that is concerned about self. Aren't youth so concerned about self? It's my needs. It's my things. And I'm going to fight to keep and to have it. But the servant of the Lord, it's not about him. It's not about his needs. It's not about his self-will and his self-desires. I think the the youthful lust is, do not pursue yourself. Do not pursue yourself as the attention of all things, but your attention and focus is on the Lord. All right, Let's watch how this plays out. Flee these youthful lusts. So this is going to tell us also now what to pursue. Pursue righteousness. Listen, everybody. Righteousness is that conduct which pleases God. It is conduct. It is your behavior. Day after day, week after week, month after month. Let your conduct be such that it pleases God all the time. Leave no space for sin. Leave no place for your self-will. It is all centered on God. Okay, that's what we need to pursue. Just right conduct that honors God. Next, pursue faith. I think it's trust. Just pursue trusting God. It is easy as youth not to trust God younger people think that the world is their own and they'll never die and they're just so independent we just need to foster dependence on God having trust in him no matter what Timothy is facing some huge obstacles and he just needs to place his confidence in God and not in his own strength and his own ability he also needs to pursue love self-sacrificial unconditional love listen this is a love that gives up himself for the needs of others like God did in sending his son to die for our sins. Jesus gave everything up. He, he didn't give up any He didn't give up His deity or any of that, but He laid aside the glory that was due Him and humbled Himself for us. That's unconditional love. We need to pursue that type of living for everybody. It's about other people, not about me. Serving others, giving yourself even your life for other people. If we pursue these things, we'll be fleeing from those youthful lusts, self and self will and self desires. The the idea of being contentious and quarreling and now he's being right. Hey, Timothy has to pursue peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. With other believers. Believers are those who have called upon Jesus. They have also purified themselves. And Timothy just needs to live in peace with other believers. Listen, the hardest thing in ministry is relationships. It is the hardest Because a word offends, an action offends, and just the constant repair and the constant direction of relationships is just critical in ministry. If you have a number of relationships that are just decaying and falling apart, you you just can't operate, you can't minister. We need to be pursuing right conduct, trust in the Lord all the times in the midst of difficulty, love, giving yourselves to others with no thought of yourself, and then keeping all of your relationships at peace with one another especially with those who call out of the Lord out of a pure heart. And then avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. Do not get involved in anything that will bring strife, that will generate strife. Sure, we have to defend our faith, and we have to admonish others, but he's going to teach us and show us how to do that tonight, in the text tonight. We're going to look at the rest of this tonight. There's just too much, and I don't want to go too fast on it. But, but Timothy has to avoid any type of argumentation. Sure, admonish, give the truth, but then you're done. You're not going to argue. You're not going to fight. You're not going to get defensive. He says, and just we'll see it tonight, he says to be patient, to be kind to everybody and to be patient, to endure being wronged and never retaliate. You're never defending yourself. You're never protecting yourself. You're never elevating yourself. You're simply giving the truth, admonishing others, gently, without quarreling, and, and you're not going to generate strife. You're <laughs> going to let it go, and you're going to move on. Um, that is what the servant of the Lord, really, what, what pastoring is, is about. Protecting the flock. But you do it in not a quarrelsome way. And listen, with conflict, it is so easy to quarrel, isn't it? It's so easy to generate strife. We're to, we're to avoid that. And um, it really takes a discerning mind and a loving spirit. You have to do that. There's no room for retaliation, no room for bitterness or revenge. It is simply avoiding all those foolish arguments. So let me ask you Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Have you trusted Him for your salvation? It is the most important decision you can ever make. It will determine the very day that you die if you will be in heaven with Jesus and all his glory, or if you will be in torment, being punished for your sins for all eternity. Everybody on earth will spend eternity either in heaven or hell. There are no other options. No other options. Religion cannot do this. Your good works. There is nothing you can do to gain God's favor. He has done it all through Jesus Christ. You simply receive that which he offers. You trust Jesus and his finished work on the cross. Maybe today somebody needs to trust in Jesus. Believe him that he died for your sins and rose again. You understand what's going on today in the Catholic Church? With the two popes being canonized, being made saints. The Bible says everybody who places their faith in Jesus Christ is a saint, a set-apart one. It is not for a few uh, popes in hundreds of years that become saints. The Corinthians, as carnal as they were, as mixed up as they were about different things, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says, you Corinthians have been called to be saints. Every one of those Corinthians were saints because they had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ through faith it is not an act of the church for somebody based on that, something they might have done. What a travesty. Um, my encouragement to you is trust Jesus today. Secondly, listen, are you a vessel of honor? Sanctified. You're clean. You're submissive. You're just useful for whatever the master wants you to do. You just simply submit yourselves to him. And, and thirdly, are you ready? Are you prepared? Have you been trained? Are you being trained? Are you willing to be trained? Are you teachable? Are you willing to step out in faith and just do every good work that the master would have? What, what a phenomenal thing to have vessels of honor filling a body of believers, filling a large house. We don't want to bring out the, the dishonorable vessels that are fit for human waste and garbage. You would never do that with your company, and God won't do that in his large house. So we cleanse ourselves from sin and from sinful teaching, anything that will lead to dishonoring God, and we are just fit and prepared for the Lord. We're going to avoid quarreling and being contentious. We're going to pursue all these things that honor God, like righteousness, faith, love, and peace relationships. So I'm not sure where you're at in your walk or your your uh, vesselhood. <laughs> you know how you are as the state of your vessel. But I urge you, do what it takes to be useful to God. It is your number one goal. Father, we thank you so much for the text of Second Timothy chapter two. We understand that we, we can be vessels of honor by cleansing ourselves from false teaching or from uh, sinful behavior, sinful conduct, because we, are, we know bad theology leads to bad conduct, and we want to be clean, sanctified um, useful to you in many areas of ministry that you would choose us. And then we want to be ready, not with some reluctance, but just eager, zeal, boiling over diligence for anything noble that you would have for us. I pray, Father, for this group today. Maybe there's someone here today that the Holy Spirit has now revealed Jesus Christ as Savior, his death for ours. Maybe today someone will become a vessel of of honor for you through their salvation. And Father, for each one here that's a believer, may they be put on display to do your work, to bring honor and glory to the master of the house. Thank you, Father, for teaching us and encouraging us and also convicting us. May you be honored and glorified now and the rest of the day and in all of our lives through the week. In Jesus' name.